So, about this $5 I owe you. Yes, and? Yeah, I owe you. Welcome to my podcast, Double Issue. I'm Josh Freeman, and this is the podcast where I write some comic book short stories. Today's theme is birthdays, but I figured instead of me writing birthday episodes, I would have on some guests whose birthday it is this week. I've got over here... I'm Quentin Pongratz. And over here... Daniel Poole. Uh, yes, these are my birthday guests this week, and they have written some some episodes, some short stories for us to listen to this week. That's correct. Yes. I hope they're good. I did send it to you before. Did you not read it? I don't do work on this show. I'm oh. just a voice. Uh, I also hope mine is good. We'll see about that. <laughs> do you write stories often? Do you, Is this a thing you guys do? you have any experience with birthday writing? Long time birthday haver, first time birthday writer. You never written any birthday cards before? No, um, I have. I have someone that that signs those for me. I don't know if I can trust you with this material. I mean, we've already signed the contract, so it's too late to back out now. What about you, Quentin? You ever written any birthday cards? Uh, no. I once wrote a birthday book. Oh, I'm impressed. Yep, there's not many of those on the market. I've read all of them though. I don't remember reading yours. Well, you might have read it under a different name. I allow people to just put their own name into it, and then it's just, it's like the happy birthday to Josh. It's just the whole book. Oh, like I have that. read that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It would have just been Josh. Good work. The birthday book. <laughs> Good work. I liked it. Let's hear from. From Mr. Birthday Book first, since you have more experience. Let's no, hear your no, story I can't first. Cut out that dumb bit. Of <laughs> <laughs> birthday book. <books. laughs> you can't. I liked it. It's my show, damn it. I like it. All right, here it goes. The birthday paradox. If there are 23 people in a room, the chance of any two of them sharing a birthday is 50%. In this particular room, there were 23 people. All of them shared a birthday. This was, of course, much higher than one would expect given the probability. This suggested an anomaly. The anomaly was John Morris. The other 22 people were split. The split with a number one written on her forehead blew snot into a tissue. John Morris scratched his head. You've got quite a problem here. No, duh. What's with the numbers? We can't merge back. Split 8 said. We have to keep track, said Split 19. Have you never seen any movies with multiplying people? Asked 4. It's basic stuff, added another. Hmm. You don't think of contingency plans for if things go wrong? John did indeed think about what would happen if he and his mirror counterpart switched places, or what would happen if he couldn't return from that pocket mirror dimension. Not really. Whatever, Whatever, said all the splits in unison. The splits grimaced, then just one spoke. Sorry, 
We try not to do the all at once thing if there's more than three, but sometimes we just slip. It's fine. So why exactly did you call me? I thought you could help me figure this out. Why would you think that? Mirrors? John Morris put a hand over his face and shook his head. Duplication is kind of mirror territory. John Morris didn't say anything more. It makes sense. Don't act like it doesn't. John sighed. I guess I can see what I can do. Maybe we should go outside, though. It's getting a bit crowded. Split sneezed and split. Oh, oh no. no, they all said. Because although only the original split was sneezing, they could all feel that familiar sensation of a second sneeze tagging along. Split sneezed again, leading to yet another split. I hate double sneezes. Twenty-four splits now occupied the room. The newly emerged splits looked around the room while the original split pulled out a marker. She handed it to one of the new splits. One drew a 23 on the other's forehead, then passed the marker to receive a 24 on her own. The corners of the room tore like pieces of paper. The ceiling detached from the wall and flew upward. The new view did not reveal the room that should have been above her room, or even the sky, but a blank space. The walls, disconnected from the roof and each other, fell away. Where the walls once were, the same white void from above seemed to stretch in all directions. Then, the floor started to sink. White liquid rushed in from the sides and filled the area. Split and John only sank a foot into the liquid, but Split's bed did not fare as well. It continued to sink until it and the rest of the stuff in her room disappeared beneath the mostly calm surface. This can't be good. A bubble traveled to the surface and popped as if her bed were agreeing with her sarcastically. John Morris crouched down and touched the liquid. He sniffed his fingers and shrugged. Taste it. John Morris turned his head toward her with the most skeptical look he could manage. You. Split pulled her hands up and made her voice into a loud whisper. We can make 24 taste it. I'm not doing that. 24 kicked some of the liquid towards Split 1, enough to make a display of her discontent, but not enough to actually hit herself. Split was a strict adherent to the golden rule, since in her case, doing unto others was often doing unto her. Good. A new voice spoke. It seemed to come from all around them. Now that there are 25 of you, the games can begin. As the voice talked, walls began to rise from the white waters. Now, we could have done this in your room, yes, but hear me out. I think your style is garbo. Also, this room is a bit bigger. It'll give us so much room for activities. The voice laughed and Split swore the laughter came from just over her shoulder. Which shoulder, though? The white liquid ran off the walls. A door bisected each wall horizontally, while molding bisected each wall vertically. This kept the two different wallpapers from clashing and the designs in the molding kept the wall from looking too empty. The bottom wallpaper was a simple affair. Vertical lines of gold and green followed one another in a mostly predictable fashion. The pattern only broke at the corners, where they would repeat the same colored line twice. All corners save one were gold. The top halves sported a more active design. Cows and zebras raced along the molding on a blue background. They leapt over hurdles, sped off ramps and through flaming hoops, and, at the top, a select few jumped over moons. Out from the endless white void appeared a cat. It towered over the scene, standing on its two hind legs. The front paws were encased in pink oven mitts, which it used to mime wiping away at a glass surface that kept it from them. Now, here's the game. I call it Punch Tag. When I say go, you're going to flood out of these doors. If you hit a version of yourself that isn't real, 
it goes away in a puff of smoke. If you hit a real version of yourself, well, that's not very nice. So you get penalized. The cat gestured toward another part of the void, and an electronic scoreboard appeared. A buzzer sounded and echoed through the space as a zero turned into a one. Like that. Each penalty is a spin on the wheel of danger. The cat gestured to its other side, and a game show wheel appeared with plenty of images of skulls and lightning bolts to emphasize the danger part of its name. Ready? Let's go! The cat snapped. Though the oven mitts did not reveal how this was done with paws instead of hands. Perhaps underneath were hands instead of paws. But Split and John did not have time to consider this possibility. For the doors opened, and in came Split. The splits created an outward-facing circle. The other splits ran towards them. Then, all of the runners froze. Wait, wait, wait! Everyone looked to the cat. This is like when I forget to put my playlists on shuffle. It's boring to always start out with the same song, isn't it? The cat snapped again. In an instant, each split had changed place with another. Some that were in the circle were now running towards it. Some were merely in a different part of the circle. Each stood confused. Much better, said the cat, and everyone started moving once more. The room erupted in noise. The voices as Split gave and received blows, the sloshing of liquid as everyone moved, and the buzzer as penalties racked up. Forehead, yelled one of the Splits. The yell propagated through the crowd, and many Splits were yelling it in unison. A split with a 13 on her forehead reeled back a fist and made eye contact with a 20. She stopped and turned before punching a split with no number on her face. Soon, the room was filled with smoke as the reel dispatched the fake. No fair! The smoke cleared. The liquid on the floor was a mess of waves from the action. Here's what I'll do. You won that round. Fine. So I'll clear the board of penalties. Round two? the cat snapped. The numbers on the foreheads of the splits curled up like a leaf in fall before finally letting go and floating to the ground. Upon reaching the tumultuous surface, the ink sank. So, no numbers, the cat snapped again. Mirrors appeared on the walls, leaving no room for Split and John to enjoy the wallpaper. Now these are mirrors, but I don't want you to think of them as just mirrors. Have you guys ever played Pac-Man? Or, do you guys even have Pac-Man in this universe? I can never keep straight which ones have which games. But I'm talking about screen wrap. These don't just show your reflection. These take you to the other side of the room when you step through them. It's like infinity rooms, but it's also just one room. Isn't that great? The split nearest John Morris, the one that used to be number 23, gave him a look. It was that kind of look you give your sister when your dad comes into the room to give you an angry lecture about the need for quiet in a world overrun with noise. But the whole time, he has a sour cream and onion potato chip hanging onto his beard. It wiggles, but never jostles free. John Morris knew that look. He often gave that same look to his mirror image. Then, he cast a spell. Each mirror turned 90 degrees to reveal the wallpaper once more. The cows and zebras, once running all in the same direction, turned away from the wall. They peeled off like Split's numbers had just moments ago. But instead of falling, they flew into the mirrors. The animals retained two dimensions going into the mirrors. 
but going into a mirror also means coming out of one. The animals that came out of the mirrors had grown a third dimension. The zebras and cows flew up into the void towards the giant cat that could not believe its eyes. They hit a barrier. The cat had not been merely miming earlier, or it had and had since summoned a barrier to keep itself safe. Either way, the animals would not be stopped. The sound of glass breaking filled the air. It overpowered the sound of sloshing liquid that hadn't stopped since flooding in. A rush of air rustled all of their hair and clothes as it went to escape from the crack in the barrier. In the same moment, Split became one again, and she and John began to grow. Normally, bursting through glass is liable to severely injure the person doing so. In this case, the people doing the bursting were also growing at such a rate that the shards became so small they couldn't do much damage. I still wouldn't advise doing this, though. Paper cuts don't usually do much damage either, but no one wants a paper cut. John and Split stood over a normal-sized cat on the table in Split's room. Beneath them, a small snow globe leaked out white liquid, tiny zebras, and mini cows. Split jumped off the table and scooped up the cat. Bad kitty. The cat snapped, and it was no longer held in her arms. Instead, it floated before them in a standing position. It shuddered. I do not like being held, and I don't like being captured and put in some weird game show snow globe. The cat ignored her and turned its attention to John, who had taken a seat on the table. He took the mirror he kept on a chain around his neck and let the small animals fly into it. As they did, bits of paper fell out from it. How did I miss John Morris? I obviously wouldn't have used mirrors if I had known you were there. What was it? A concealment spell? Some glamour? I didn't know you were strong enough to affect me. His last sentence merged into a purr. Split, this is Mittens. I would say pleasure to meet you, but it's not. It seems the pleasure is all mine, then, Mittens chuckled. So were you keeping me from merging? Suppose I was. And the sneezes? I can't help it if my dander just happens to be in the air. But I'm not allergic to cats. I can't help it if I just happen to make you allergic to cats. For good? Worry crept into Split's face. For a bit. Why? I had fun, didn't you guys? I would say fun is its own reward. Split huffed. The cat turned to John Morris. You guys share a birthday. That's what it was. Now this seems nonsensical to rational beings. But Mittens is a being that doesn't see the world in the same ways or dimensions most people do. It's quite conceivable Mittens viewed the world in such a way that the first thing he notices about someone is their birthday and didn't bother looking beyond that. Because what is the probability that 25 people in the same room all share a birthday? It's also conceivable that Mittens was lying about the birthday thing. The cat laughed. I would say well played, but it was hardly played at all. Mittens turned and, as its tail passed over its body, disappeared. The tail, of course, had no logical way of passing over itself, but it did. The minds of John and Split reconciled this with the tail appearing to shimmer away. See you around, John. Nice to meet you, Split, the voice said from nowhere. Split wore a confused look for a few moments. They both sat in silence, much preferring it to the constant sloshing of a few minutes earlier. Split turned to John. It's your birthday too? It's your John birthday. nodded. Let's go get some cake. 
Do you have any socks that would fit me? I hate wearing wet socks. The end. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. It's a great day. That's what we say. Happy birthday to you. Hello, I'm Tristan Miller. And I'm Miles Newman. Hey, Tristan, do you like movies? No, I think they're all garbage and bad, and we should stop making them. If there was only some way for me to experience new movies, but I don't like going to the movies or watching movies. I want people to describe movies to me. So you want, like, an audio medium where someone will send you, Uh like, regularly send you a description of Uh of better movies than the ones being made, like, cooler, more, like, sexy Movies. Yeah, that sounds like an ideal situation. How could I do that? I think I have a solution to your problem. What's it? Let me pitch this at you. Wink. Elevator pitch. Oh, what's that? It is a podcast where two best friends. Oh, who are they? Are they us? It's me and you. We're best friends. We pitch fake movies at each other and see who comes up with a better movie that week. And the loser has to spend uh, spend uh, the time until the next show uh, in an elevator. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Elevator pitch comes out every other Friday. Going up. Going up. This is the part where I usually talk to myself about my writing style and <laughs> I don't know why I always write two stories every week (laughs) and then talk to myself about them. Yes, it's really an interesting format. You don't see that a lot on podcasts. Yeah, you should have guests on more often. It seems like you'd get a lot from discussing your stories with someone else. Or co-host. I mean, usually like I split my consciousness into two minds and then have a conversation with myself. That's talent. Yeah, but uh, yeah, usually I... I talked to myself about what I what I liked and didn't like about my story this week. Uh, let's break from that format. And you have any questions for each other about Quentin's story? I think the most pressing question about Quentin's story is what is Mittens' breed? Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> You're cat. full of answers. This is a cat. Like a... Like a brown cat or an orange cat? A cat with mittens on it. Is it a nibelung? Nibelung. It's actually a tiger. Oh. You just assumed it was a house cat. Oh, a miniature <laughs> tiger with oven mitts. That, changes that would things. make the oven mitts fit better, having larger paws. At the end of the story, Split like introduces mittens. Like, this is mittens. Does Split know mittens? Like is that is it her cat? Is it just constantly no. playing tricks. John Morris introduces mittens to split. Oh, so he knows mittens. Yeah, I made it where like they've had run-ins before. Oh, okay. Because he was like, "You, if I knew it was you, I wouldn't have used mirrors." Because he, he's on the magic side of things, and it just seemed to make sense. Yeah. 
What is, is Mittens just a magic cat? He's like multi-dimensional trickster god archetype. Got a lot of Q vibes from him. I was thinking uh, Mr. Mitzelplixel from Superman and I don't know, what's the trickster guy's name in Supernatural? I don't know, but that guy. So, any more questions about Quentin's story? Why haven't Mitz? Why not? I figured. <laughs> I don't know. So, sounds like you put a lot of thought into this story. <laughs> I like the snapping because it's just unnerving enough. Oh, yeah. The... He snapped. Oh, yeah. With what hands? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the reason it's unnerving. Yeah. Do you think he's got human hands under there? For sure. I hope not. I I really hope not. <laughs> My next story will be someone taking Mittens' mittens. It's just going to be gross. I think Mittens deserves a long time between stories. He's too good of a character to come up too often. Yeah. He's super powerful. Yeah. What was the... Oh, I... So he didn't know John Morris was there. But I also was like, why is there liquid here in this snow globe situation? It could just be snow globe liquid or whatever, but that doesn't really track. Yeah. But John Morris does hate wet socks. Oh. And so it would be right up Mitten's Alley to to make him have wet socks. Even though he didn't know that John Morris was there. So, <laughs> was he lying? Yeah, who knows. I mean, maybe Mittens is just just trickster enough to be like, I'm not trying to kill you. I'm just trying to mess with you. I know that he's there and can get out of this situation. But I don't want them to know that I'm going easy on him just for the funds. Wait, we're avoiding the obvious issue, though. John Morris knows Mittens. And Mittens put mirrors in the world? They're working together. This is a just a straight up a prank on Split. <laughs> by Mittens and John Morris. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe Mittens isn't bad. He's completely neutral. Just sometimes sometimes yeah, I don't know does if... whatever just for fun. I don't know if the trickster characters are usually straight bad. If they were working together, it would be even more interesting that he ended up with wet socks at the end because it's like man i knew i was getting myself like i made a a deal with the devil type situation to pull this prank on split and of course i ended up with wet socks at the end he couldn't just prank her he had to prank me too i really thought that story was going to become a battle royale hunger games story where men's was like here's each of you a knife meow <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just, where's this going? <laughs> when the when the mirrors popped up, obviously, like other than the, the obvious invitation for John to use his powers for whatever, I thought it was gonna be run through the mirror into the other side of the room. Oop! Tricks on you! It's just a normal mirror. You ran into a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Here's this mirror maze full of you, so it's extra dumb. So when John goes through a mirror, does he gain an extra dimension like the animals? No. Okay. That was that was John's magic doing that. Maybe he does, but he can't see them, so he can't he can only see three dimensionally. 
I don't know if he ever goes through mirrors, though. He just casts spells through them, really. Yeah. I think there was a mention toward the beginning of the story, like, a fear of ending up in the mirrored dimension. So yeah. he wouldn't want to go through the mirror. Because if, like, he can't cast magic in his own dimension, only his mirror can cast magic through the reflection. If they switched the places. Opposite. If they switch places, they would be able to cast spells normally, I oh, think. Oh, okay. So maybe he does want to. Yeah. That'd be weird. He cast in our place, or in his world, but he's in the other one. So he's like, ha, fireball. Nothing happens here. So he just looks like a normal guy just doing weird hand motions. And in the other dimension, his original dimension, there's just fireballs randomly shooting out. And people are just, oh, God, what's happening? Well, I mean... No, his mirror person would be there, doing the same mirror their, motions. Their universe has got off just a little bit. Somehow. Yeah. If, like, he has to cast it into the spell, and that's where it takes effect. So, theoretically, he could just do magic. If he were, if he were in, in the, the mirror, mirror dimension. Like, something about... His power is he can do spells backwards. <laughs> yeah. Merely incompatible with this reality. <laughs> so if he cast it into a mirror, it can take effect. Yeah, I feel like this is a bunch of leftover spell squadron conversation that we're having here. Yeah. Didn't didn't fully get into his abilities. Just wanna clear it up. It's a good time. He's come back up. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason I understand his powers a bit more is, is because he wrote the original Spell Squadron. Yeah, I wrote <laughs> Spell Squadron Episode 1 on a previous episode. Is episode 23, I believe. Whatever. <laughs> and, he wrote, and he wrote the 22 preceding episodes and the original Spell Squadron Force. Yeah, you guys, you should feel... We're big fans. You should feel blessed that I'm allowing you into my my yeah. universe. Is It's great. It's like... It must be how regular comic book writers feel when they land a job at one of the big two or three or however many of the big publishers are now. It was like a comic book writer finally getting to write Batman. That's why I used the characters I used. I'm a big fan of John Morris and Split. Yeah, I am too. That's why I wrote them originally <laughs> well are you <laughs> you a fan of all your characters is like, like they're all your babies no this is this is like earlier i mentioned splitting my mind into two it's i'm a fan of my other consciousness's creations <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i mean i wrote them but only part of me wrote them so is that why you wrote split how they are yeah and john morris like are all these characters really just help i've been split into multiple <laughs> beings and they aren't the same yeah a lot a lot of my work is just self-referential we cracked the notorious <laughs> joshua freeman do you want to talk about birthday math at all or i don't know you can look it up it's a real thing yeah that birthday math is interesting birthday problem okay 99.9% probability is reached with just 70 people. 70? Wow. And 50% probability with 23 people. With one person, you have a 0% probability that any two people in that room will share a birthday. 
So does does Daniel want to tell his his story written in my double issue universe now? Yeah, an original story about the characters you made. Yeah. Here goes. Aster, issue three, birthday, by Daniel J. Poole. Aster followed a commercial jetliner's flight path to the edge of the Ash Barrens. Dropping into a nosedive, she broke the sound barrier before turning back to face the city. She kept low between destroyed buildings, careful to stay below, effective radar range. A light rain pattered the streets. Overcast morning skies hung over the wreckage of the city. The Centauri crept between piles of rubble. She strained to listen to the area for a moment. Pulling the sleeve of her flight suit up, she tapped the screen of her watch. It blinked before the image of her academic advisor, Hazel 8, appeared. Aster said, I'm in position. Hazel nodded. Good. Here's your extracurricular assignment. Locate the suspected Faustini terrorist hiding in the ruins. Find out as much as possible, then return to the academy. The girl chewed her lip a beat. But why me? Our board of regents has reason to believe other students might be compromised. We know for sure you are not. Hazel narrowed her eyes. Do you understand? I think so, said Aster. Hazel gave her a pensive thumbs up while attempting to smile. Good. Remember, observe and report. This is a stealth mission. The watch blinked off. The district had been abandoned after years of giant monsters appearing in the area. It created a time capsule to when the Citadel first appeared. Twisted steel and broken glass made the area look like a war zone. Save for the occasional tree or grass sprouting out from the tarmac, it was lifeless and silent. Overhead, a screeching engine came to a halt as floodlights lit up the street below. Aster dashed behind an overturned rusted mail truck. The lights scanned the area and came to a stop over her hiding spot. A bay door opened and two sets of feet hit the ground. Aster drew a sonic stun pistol. The sound of footsteps grew closer. She gritted her teeth, trying to decide to fight or hide or run. When the footsteps stopped a few feet from the truck, she decided. She flew, she flew around the side of the vehicle. Kicking the feet out from under one of her assailants, she fired the stun ray directly into the face of the other, then leaped into a backward glide from the pair and kept her pistol level at the two figures. Oh, hey, Courtney. Er, Aster. There you are. Nice shot, said Havoc. The boy stood up and dusted himself off. Well, don't stare, Thorn. Thorn? He waved a hand in front of its face. The plant blinked its photoreceptors. Oh, hey, sorry. Did I fall asleep there a moment? Astra flew right to their faces and grabbed their collars. Dragging them a few inches off the ground, she said, What in the blue hell are you morons doing? Well, Havoc was giving me age at flying lessons. Think I'm close to qualifying. The girl made a terse smile. I'm so happy for you she said in a less than convincing tone. But I don't have time for this. I'm on a secret mission. I can't have you lugheads screwing this up for me. Whoa, slow down there, space princess. Space princess? She asked with a raised eyebrow. Wait, I take it back. I meant squad mate. We're, we're a team. Thorn and I just wanted to back you up. Havoc looked over at Thorn. It was staring off into the distance, swatting at the air. 
Thorn? Buddy. They blinked again. Hey, yeah, backup. That's right, we're your backup. You told me your assassin would be able to handle double take. A masked figure in a cloak said to a view screen. He paced between humming equipment in the center of a half-collapsed warehouse. On the screen, the amazing Richard rolled his eyes. If your intel had included a time traveler, then we would have. I don't care about excuses. The cloaked figures slammed their hands on a console. You did not deliver on your end of the bargain. Those are strong words considering you failed to steal Grand Calamity, as promised. I'm working on it. My protege is seeing to it personally. She should have it within the week. Richard's lips pulled into a blue smile. The cloaked figure continued. But on second thought, I may need its power to fight Aegis, since you failed me. Tucked behind shipping crates, Havoc asked. What are they talking about, Aster? She said. The same thing they've been talking about. Some botched mission and something called Brand Amity? Brand Amity? That makes no sense, he replied. Well, I could hear better if you could shut up for a minute, she retorted. Havoc held up a pointer finger as if he was going to argue, but nodded in agreement instead. Richard said, You want power? How about one of my monsters? On the house, as it were. I'll just deliver one of the battle beasts to your location. Purple electricity crackled around the room. Over the cloaked figure's head, a fracture in reality formed. Claws scratched at the corners of the anomaly. Then the cloaked man yelled at the monitor. You double-crossing fool. I'll see you in hell. I've been. It didn't suit me. Then his screen snapped off. Havoc turned to Aster. Maybe we should go. Hey. She turned and looked sternly at him. This is my mission. I call the shot. The air fizzled and cracked with power. A bulbous worm the size of a bus landed inside the warehouse. It began to howl and grow. I've considered it. Let's make a tactical retreat. Havoc nodded vigorously. Thorn pointed at the monster. Their mouth fell open. Look at the size of it. The cloaked figure looked straight at them. He said, You there, stop. You two, get to your jet. I'll hold him off, Aster said. Havoc replied, Yes, sir. He took Thorn's arm and made a run for a break in the wall. You have a death wish, girl? The cloaked figure asked. Aster lifted off the ground. Unless you want to be worm food, we need to move, space princess. What did you just call me? Listen, we need to move. Oh, we are way beyond listening. This is personal now. Astra made a flying leap at the man. She made a fist and lobbed it between the man's eyes. The man held out a hand in front of his face. Right before impact, he slapped her hand away. Her full body weight followed the fist. He rolled her to the side, face first into the concrete. It cracked where her nose met the ground, and she slid across the floor. The monster roared. It had grown to twice its size. As it quivered and convulsed, it began shoving anything near itself into its mouth. With each pile of rubble, it became stronger. I don't have time for this, yelled the cloaked figure. He made a run for a break in the wall. When Aster looked towards him, she watched two of the men running away. 
A moment later, her vision cleared to one. The girl gritted her teeth and started to chase him. However, two massive claws caught over the shoulders, stopping her. Above her, a single angry eye watched her. From the head of the monster, a single horn grew to a sharp point. It bellowed at her, covering her in spit. <laughs> Do you mind? Aster asked. She lifted back the creature's claws and flew after the man. Outside, a sleek white jet shaped like an uppercase A lowered into the streets. It spun to face away from the crumbling warehouse. In the rear of the ship, a bay door swung open. Havoc stood in the opening. The cloaked figure burst into a sprint. Behind him, Aster soared close to the ground. Havoc made a finger gun and pointed it at the running man. Dropping his thumb made a bolt of green energy leap from his finger to the man's foot. The man tripped, tumbled, and came to a stop laying on his back. She vaulted high above him with them raised. Bringing her arms down, she cried, Don't call me princess! Force from the impact made the man sink into the street. He gasped for breath. Blood trickled from his nose. His mask was torn. Aster started to grab him when a set of vines pulled her into the ship. Thorn had one hand on the wheel and the other reeling the centauri in. Put me down. I have him right where I want him, the girl said. Just beyond the bay doors, jaw snapped shut on empty air. Actually, flying's good. Thorn punched it. The A-Jet's twin engines scorched the monster as it flew away. The jet hurtled into the gloomy morning. Aster fell into a chair behind the pilot's seat. She took a deep breath she did not know she needed. A small table had balloons, a cupcake, a construction paper card with crude drawings on the side, and a small box. Who is this for? Havoc cleared his throat and said, Well, uh, so you see... Surprise! Thorn said. Happy birthday, space princess. Havoc cheesed a grin. Aster took a bite of cupcake. She opened the small box. Inside was a simple gray necklace with a single star pendant. The girl smiled. She said, Kind of on the nose, isn't it? Havoc said. It was the only titanium charm that the store carried that we could afford. Apparently being a talking house plan means you don't carry a lot of spending cash. Thorn looked over their shoulder. They said, Hey, I made the card. Aster pulled her hair over her shoulder and clasped the jewelry around her neck. She said, Well, I really like it. Thank you. Both of you. As the ship pulled above the broken skyline, Thorn hit play on the stereo. Citadel City came into view. The clouds broke to show a glimmer of sunlight just beyond the monolithic doors of Gate 9. Monster sirens rang in the distance. The end. For now. You only have eternity to go. You made it one more time around the sun. Now's the time that you have to have more fun. Kick up your heels, enjoy the ride, and let your god above just try. Now's the time when we all have to say. Amazing Richard was involved with the Fasini, 
Faustini. Faustini incident. So, does that mean that the android version of the Martian dude? Oh, Ichival. Ichival. The android version of Ichival was actually the amazing Richard piloting an android of Ichival. Possibly. Because he, like, uploaded his mind into a robot in a previous episode. See, I don't know if he'd have to pilot it, but he knows he has the tech to make the robots that realistic by like, copying memories over. So he could be making copies and then just leaving an extra programming at the end, like, do these things also. Okay, so it's like he's making super-powered android versions of like superheroes and giving them secret missions to complete. And this masked figure was working for him or working with him? Yeah, alongside. I was just trying to weave a few extra knots in there to come back to. Kind of curious about the the story of how the Amazing Richard got Ichival. Like, how he got access to, to him and replaced him. He had a box with a stick holding it up. Yeah. And there's just dead fish. <laughs> and Ichival yes. came by, just, ooh, my. Just a, that classic fish in a box. Yep. That's his only weakness. Is That's being how you can box. catch mittens. Fish in a box. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this masked figure? Is he intentionally mysterious masked figure? He is mysterious. He's like a tuxedo rose or tuxedo mask but the sailor moon character is a good guy right is he he doesn't do anything he shows up like in a whole bunch of episodes to save the day but all he ever does is like throw a rose that's all you need to do yeah and like says some cool line and then usually he just disappears again and so people are like what what did you come here for like what did you even do okay originally when i started the story I was going to write it in the zombie town. And then you reminded me that the zombies were soulless, not actual chemical zombies or disease zombies. And that made me change my thinking, which made me change it to just the destroyed parts of town outside where all the monsters keep landing near Citadel. Yeah. So it's just kind of a dead zone area. So these giant monsters just come out of like portals? Yeah. Okay. My vision, and I didn't get to craft this vision because now that you've well, established me, your portals. Let me back it up. Amazing Richard is dropping some in with portals. Yeah. So there's still room in there, but go ahead. No, my vision was like completely different. Like uh, they kept coming out of like a lake. So instead of them coming out of the lake and just going everywhere, they kind of like built the city as a draw so that all these monsters would come out of the water hmm. and towards the city. I still like that. I think the city's still a draw for them. Like, it's still yeah. the only thing nearby. And Yeah, like, I think you they got... built it to be like a bug light. It's like a Pacific Rim situation, but they, they put a city next to it to draw them in. Yeah. yeah. But I just like them coming out of water because that's how they always do in that, every big yeah. monster movie. That's how kaijus work, yeah. With the amazing Richard dropping them out, dropping this particular one out of portal, that could just mean that he like captured it somehow 
and yeah. weaponized it. Who knows with that guy? I mean, he's a liar. So he could just know when it comes. Like has a detection technology. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, well, uh, very quickly I'll drop a monster on you. <laughs> Any second now. Give it. I mean, I'm I'm waiting, but... He like stalls the argument for a bit. <laughs> And he's like, I've been mad at this guy for a while, but there's not one coming. <laughs> Fine. Now. <laughs> what? Did he did he orchestrate this meeting under under a kaiju drop point just in case he needed to end it with a monster? Yeah, in that case he would stall. If everything worked out, he would just Okay, well leave now. Oh my sensors <laughs> are picking up something bad. Please leave. <laughs> See, I'm a good guy. I saved you. <laughs> no, I still like the lake. I think it's it's more interesting if he has has the ability to capture them and weaponize them. That's up for your future stories to decide. So um, I guess since you like it, then that's what's canon. <laughs> I will I will keep that in mind. Unless the other you messes that up. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of a, a jerk sometimes. Oh yeah, what's the name of the group? Do you know yet? Which one? The the team group. Oh, the team group. I don't know if I've got a name for the team group. There's Captain Havoc, Aster, and Thorn. Because even if they don't get like an official designation at the academy, which makes sense, they're like Unit Zero Four B. They would have a title for Maybe... their comic. Yeah. Maybe that's something that'll come up in issue two that we I mean, skipped. <laughs> maybe, issue three. maybe there's some kind of con like we've already established that uh Captain Havoc and Aster are kind of like lineage uh heroes. What if Thorn is also potentially a lineage hero or something that ties them together? And that can be part of their their whole group identity. It's just called 2.0. It's like the new Avengers, but or like Teen Titans, but it's a group that we haven't ever talked about before. Called Mantle. <laughs> I did forget to circle back. Grand Calamity is a superhero squad that I'm writing that's going to be like my Power Rangers knockoff. Ooh. So, Not if I make the Grand Calamity something else first. Yeah. yeah. So right now it's a race. <laughs> Thank you for allowing us on. It has been a pleasure. Yes. Writer of Devil Issue. <laughs> I'm glad I got to play with your characters. Uh, I've always loved Split and John Morris. John Morris is really cool. Um, he's a cool guy. Uh, I hope I didn't do anything amiss with Mittens. I know it's like crazy powerful character. And, it's liable to cause trouble in the universe if you misuse a character like that. I hope I didn't overstep any bounds. I think I think you played Mittens perfectly. That's exactly how Mittens should should be written. I'm so happy to hear those words you're saying right now. You're welcome. Uh, I really enjoyed writing Thorn. Uh, I read a lot of Thorn comics when I was in a dark, dark place in my in my life. So writing about Thorn, it's really gratifying. I feel like Thorn is a character that I never fully developed and didn't really have a desire to develop. So I feel hearing, so akin to him. Hearing that, 
hearing that from you, it kind of, it's right on base. <laughs> I'm glad you like him. I'm glad someone does. I, I went, I started the Thorn Convention and I was the only one who attended. Seems, seems about right. You're, I think you were the, you were the only person I have ever heard say anything good about Thorn. Yeah, I uh, once read a Thorn comic when I was a kid. I, uh, another comic had obscured the last letter, and I thought I was picking up a Thor comic. It's a common mistake. It's usually I was really upset. That's that's a pretty common <laughs> fan complaint I get. Is they're like, I thought I was reading Thor, but this what is this plant character BS? Yeah, I, I do find that a weird. I hope I'm not out of line to say this. I found that a weird about all of your comics how you. Just take another superhero and add another letter <laughs> at the end. Yeah, Superman. Like <laughs> it's kind of my thing. I like uh, Flish also. Sometimes I just change one letter. The Flish. Yeah. Supergirls, the HBO show. That just like you tried to get both of them. <laughs> I don't know why. The Iron it was Man a, was a it was great actually a, The Supergirls uh, HBO show was actually a... Like product placement deal I had with HBO. Oh, okay. Yeah, that does make sense. It was all the same characters. Yeah, I thought you were just hardcore ripping them off. No, I just—I mean, they were like, use these characters, give them superpowers. Okay, I thought it was weird that you would put HBO on there. No, that's that if it wasn't legit. I made like seven billion dollars from that. Mm. In fact, that that financed. The entire bonfire I committed to all of the Thorn comics that have been piling up in my basement. I, I've always wanted to ask. I heard that they buried many of the unpublished Thorn comics in the desert next to the E.T. cartridges. No. Is that true? That's false. I burned them all. Okay. All of them. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I figured it was only fitting that a plant character gets burned. <laughs> not worth the paper that I printed him on. Yeah. A really garbage character. <laughs> he knows. He's the he's a pretty good writer. He, it's weird that you made him a plant character, but he was just a guy and he just said, I'm a plant all the time. Like he was just a guy. I think honestly I might have been high when I wrote it. <laughs> all I of can, them? I, it went for like five years. <laughs> I conceived of this character while high. And I just committed to it. I'm very stubborn when it comes to... I don't like to change my characters once they're established. Yeah. But I'm glad Daniel was able to reinvent it. Like a second version of that character. That was actually a plant. You know how I said that he wrote Mittens with very, uh, very good authenticity. Very true to the character. Your Thorn version... Is complete crap. That's well, it's complete. It complete crap I mean, compared to the yeah, original, I mean, that's, and that's a good thing because the original Thorn was real bad. Yeah. So good job. That yeah. sounds like a compliment from. I mean, that's what I man. meant. That's what I meant. It didn't sound like that's what I was saying, <laughs> but that's what I meant. Yeah. With a with a vote of confidence like yeah. that, I could be writing birthday cards this time next year. If I get to name something the Grand Calamity before you write a Power Rangers story, yeah, are you going to say in that episode, this is a Grand Calamity? 
I can. Because I'll just I'll just go back out to namegenerator.com, pick <laughs> Sentai Supergroup Name Generator, <laughs> and I'll pick a second one. That's how you do your writing? That's, that's, that's how, how I, it's done? That's how I <laughs> named my Super Sentai group. Well, you're not better at naming things. No. <laughs> I probably shouldn't criticize someone for naming their I, naming practices. Like, if I weren't such a fan, I'd probably call you, like, a a fake, a sham, like, just a rip-off artist. Yeah, It pays the bills, man. <laughs> All your bills are already paid by the Supergirls, the HBO show. I mean, how many issues did you have to make? There's only three. <laughs> and the crossover event with the Super Gilmore Girls was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Surpri- I, surprisingly, that was actually episode one. Uh, or yeah. issue one was the crossover episode. <laughs> and there wasn't any, there was never a Super Gil- Gilmore Girls comic. Yeah. They just invented it for yeah. that one episode. You did it there. And then they killed all of the girls' characters, and then it was just about them after that. And it's weird that HBO would pay you after you turn that in. Yeah, the other two episodes are just the Gilmore's girls taking over. I think that's probably why I only got three issues. But but they did pay you $7 billion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for stopping by my humble little podcast. It's been nice having you on. Uh, it's the first time I've had guests, so this has been a, a surprising treat. I might, I might try this again in the future. I think it's amazing the stamina you have to do 600 episodes, and this is the first time you have a guest on. I'm honored. Yeah. I mean, you should be. If you guys have anything you want to plug, I guess it's only fair. Go ahead and plug away your stuff. Uh, who is uh, the the cover art for your podcast done by? Uh, I actually get my cover art done by a somewhat a local artist named Lisa Prather. You can find her stuff at lisapratherart.com or on Instagram. The same name, Lisa Prather Art. Cool, cool. You can find my video games that I make over at Gwyer, G-Y-W-A-I-R dot itch dot O. Yo. Or on Twitter at Guare. Quentin, do you have a presence on the on the internet? Not really. Well, that's where you can find all the stuff for all of these people. Yep. And if you just send an email to double issue show at gmail dot com, that's how Daniel and I got on. We just emailed in some stories. Okay, well that's that's the show. Thank you guys for stopping by. See you next week, maybe? Podcast undid. Well, I guess they got some of the credits, but couldn't be bothered with the rest of them. First, here's an ad for another podcast. Don't know much about history? Neither does Tristan Miller. Fortunately, he has Blank History Month, where every Wednesday, Melissa Melly brings him, and you, exciting, true tales, including and beyond what you read about in those boring old history books, with a healthy helping of humor sprinkled in. Find Blank History Month on Stitcher, iTunes, Potable, and most other podcatchers every Wednesday. All right, and Daniel did his own sound work this week, which means I get to read double the credits of two shows. So the songs, Free Harmonics by the Free Harmonic Orchestra, Gang of Alley Cats by Komiku, It's Your Birthday by Monk Turner and Fasanoma, 
Happy Birthday by Kiai, Aurora by Kevin Hartnell, Battle Theme by Komiku, Monster by Soft and Furious, plus Danny use sound effects. Here we go. Pieces of Concrete 2 by King's Row, Monster 2 by Sea Fury, Monster Howl by Banana Boatman 33, Stretched Smash by Timber. There will be links to all of those in the show notes, and most of them are Creative Commons, and a few of them are public domain, which we don't have to attribute those, but why not? We used them and they did them. Also, they forgot to say that you can find this podcast on Spotify and Stitcher now. So if you love those and have been listening anyway, thank you. But we got you now. You don't have to listen on whatever you were listening to before. You can you can go to Spotify now. And if you're from Spotify or Stitcher, welcome. Stick around. We've got some good episodes coming out next week. Honestly, can't be worse than this episode, am I right? Uh, then I would put a winking face emoji because I'm kidding. Kidding about that one, this one being terrible. Not, not about those ones being good. Whatever. I'm done. Bye.